Uh, this, uh, we're doing things just a little different today, and so don't get thrown off by that. It'll make sense when we get uh, to the end of our service today. But I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 3. As you're getting settled there, I'm uh, just kind of reminded that I've been blessed in life to have several opportunities to travel to various countries on mission trips. And taking these trips are always a blessing because you have such a great opportunity uh, to put away the normal cares of life and just focus on doing work for God. A big part of that work is always ministering to other people. Anyone who's given time to minister to others know what a blessing that is. In fact, you can work twice as hard on a mission trip as you would normally during your week, and you feel like the work, work was not only easy but enjoyable because there's just something about serving others. Okay? Just know that there's something about serving others. But mission trips are also an opportunity for you to see the great need that exists around the world. Or they can help you see the need that's not that far away. In fact, do this. Just travel uh, to eastern Kentucky, and you can find some of the poorest communities in the world. But wherever you go, what is clear is that our world is in a deep spiritual need. And even if you walk across the street to a neighbor to share Jesus, you understand that's a blessing to do what God wants you to do. Therefore, when you answer a call from God to go on missions and meet the needs of others, wherever that is, you are answering a wonderful call. Now, as we move today to the book of Exodus, you will see where God's people had a tremendous need that God worked to meet. You know, last week we looked at Joseph and how God had worked in his difficulties to put Joseph in a place to save many lives, most notably to be in a place to save the lives of his family members, whom we call the children of Israel, and who were the bearers of God's promise to bless the entire world, the family through whom the Savior would come. Now, when we get to the book of Exodus, you need to know this, all right? Joseph, you know, had his time, but when we get to the book of Exodus, hundreds of years have passed, and a couple of things have happened. First, God's promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars is coming to pass as the children of Israel have grown tremendously in number in the land of Egypt. Here's how it reads in Exodus 1.8. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew, to, grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. See, this increase was wonderful in the sense that God's promise was coming to pass. But, folks, we need to know this. Not everyone rejoices when God is at work. Y'all know that, right? Not everyone rejoices when God is at work. In this case, the Pharaoh was not happy. The Egyptians were threatened because of the increase in the Israelite population. Consequently, the Pharaoh began to subject them to harsh slavery in hopes that this harsh action would subdue them and, and, and make them decrease in numbers. But here's the reality. The harsher the treatment, the greater the Israelites grew in number. This even caused Pharaoh to take the next step where he ordered the slaying of any male child that was born. But that didn't work either for the midwives of the Israelites would not carry out the orders. And so the Israelites continued to grow, which led Pharaoh to just expanding his orders. And he ordered that all the young male child be, be killed. See, in the midst of this time, we're introduced to a name that many people know. In fact, even people who are not necessarily church attenders have heard the name Moses. Though I'll say this, if they've watched the Ten Commandments, there's a lot of things in there that are biblically inaccurate. So if you think you know about Moses and the Ten Commandments from the movie The Ten Commandments, I would encourage you to read your Bible. Okay, let me encourage you to do that. Moses was born in the middle, though, of this attempted slaughter by the Pharaoh. But if you know his story, you know that he survived. He survived first by his parents hiding him. And by then, them putting him in a basket in the Nile, 
For he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter who raised him as her own. However, somehow Moses, as he grew, knew he was an Israelite. And not only did he know he was an Israelite, he knew that God was calling him to deliver his people. And because of this knowledge, Moses one day ends up defending one of the Israelite slaves, and in the process, he kills an Egyptian. Moses then, though, finds that he has to flee Egypt for his life, and he ends up in Midian, where he marries the daughter of a man named Jethro, who was a priest there. And as part of the family, Moses ends up tending his father's flock. Now, as all of this is going on, the children of Israel remain in slavery, working under horrible conditions. And as time passes, though, the Pharaoh dies, and the people continue to cry out to God for help. This is the people who had seen God work in the past, and so they cry out asking God to rescue them, asking God to deliver them. Here is how it reads in Exodus 2. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and look at this, and God knew. All right, that, 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 those verses right there take place at the end of, or, or, or it happens in chapter 2, but that takes us to chapter 3, which begins with Moses tending to his father-in-law's flock, and here is he, he makes his way to what is called the, the mountain of God. And there he has what we call his burning bush experience. Moses comes upon this bush that is burning but not being consumed. And so he investigates. And as he investigates this burning bush, God speaks to him from that bush. And today I want us to look at part of this conversation so that we can discover a couple of very important truths today and see how God's plans are unbroken. Let's look beginning in verse 7, Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All right, now let's pause. As we read these verses, here's the first thing we need to see today. Are you ready? That God sees... God hears and God acts to deliver his people. All right. Now, I'm sure that the Israelites had some doubts about God, whether God even cared for them. We, we don't know exactly how long they had been suffering under the hands of the Egyptians. But by the time we read this text in Exodus 3, as I said, most likely hundreds of years have passed. If you think even just about Moses, we know that he was 80 years when he heard this burning bush experience. So just in his lifetime, the people had been suffering for 80 years. And so let's just consider that 80 years. How would you feel about God if you'd been suffering for 80 years? If you'd been crying out to God for 80 years to deliver you, how would you have been feeling uh, about God? All right. Would you maybe doubt that? I mean, would you think God doesn't care about me? Would you think about those things? Would you say after 80 years, maybe you'd wonder about God? I I'm sure not, right? Because all of you are patient people. No, that's not true. In fact, as we think about this year of COVID-19, what, what we have learned is we're not very patient people, right? Shake your head this way. We don't like to wait for anything. In fact, you go to a hardware store, and this is what you'll find. You go to most hardware stores, and they're short of the item that you need. And when you ask them, when is it going to come in, you know what they'll tell you? You know what they'll tell you? We have no idea. 
In fact, I'm making a purchase, and I went to the dealer to, to buy this thing, and they said, well, we don't have any in stock. And his first thing that he told me was this, I don't know when we're going to get any in. All right. Now, now thankfully, uh, this, this, this guy's been able to, the dealer's been able to find what I wanted pretty quickly, but that's what he told me at first. Said, we have no idea. And how do we get in the midst of life? We don't like those answers, do we? Because we want it now in our crazy, instant, get-it-today society or our next-day society. We want what we want, and we want it now. Y'all can say amen to that, right? Can you imagine being in a situation and asking God for help and years and years and years pass with no change? You might question, again, whether God cares about you. But we have to remember this, that God knows exactly what we need. Right? And he knows exactly when to meet that need. You know, when I think about this in a small way, I know that Kim, my wife, makes some of the best no-bake cookies in the world. All right? I'll put them up against anybody's no-bake cookies. But for those to come out just right, there's a pretty specific process that has to be followed, including the amount of time that the mixture has to be cooked and how much it has to be stirred. Now, I, I know I, I don't make these no-bake cookies because I would mess them up. You know why? Because I wouldn't be patient enough, all right? I wouldn't be patient enough. Thankfully, Emily is even taking after her mother there. She can do a pretty good job. But to make them right, it's not this. It's not get things done as fast as possible. It's get things done in the right timing. Because if not done in the right timing, it's not going to come out right. You see, on a much greater note, hear me, God knows that things need to be done in the right time. It's not necessarily right now, but it's in the right time. Think even about the coming of Jesus. In Galatians 4, it says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. The New Living Translation even translated, When the right time had come. You see, God knows what he is doing. And God knows the right time. And what we have to take comfort in, according to this text, is that God sees what we are going through. He hears our prayers, and then he acts. And he will act in his time and in his way. Think about this. I said that Moses was 80 when God spoke to him. But let's remember that God didn't just start working when Moses was 80. God had started working from the beginning of Moses' life, from his birth to having him saved from the slaughter and even having him raised in Pharaoh's household. All of this was part of God's plan. And then now, if you will look forward, all right, even from this past, this time, in this burning bush experience, it's going to take another 40 years for part of God's plan to take place because the children of Israel will spend 40 years in the wilderness before they make it to the promised land. And then we can say God's promises came true. You see, God had seen. God had heard, and God was acting. In fact, let's not overlook the fact that God even said, I have come down to deliver my people, all right? Which takes me to the next point I want to make, which is this. God then invites Moses to see, to hear, and to join his mission. Look at the next few verses in Exodus 3. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now look in this text when God says to Moses, now behold. All right, you can read that. Now behold, he says. What he's doing is he's inviting Moses to see the need of his people. Now you might say this to me. Well, Brother Scott, didn't Moses already know the plight of the Israelites? 
I mean, didn't he grow up in Egypt? Didn't he even kill an Egyptian trying to help his people? Doesn't he already know? Well, let's think about this. For 40 years at this point, Moses has been in Midian. He now has a wife and kids, so he has a comfortable family. He is tending his father-in-law's flock, so he has a comfortable, stable job. There's nothing in the scriptures to indicate that there are any different difficulties going on in Moses' life currently. So, catch this, ready? Moses is in a pretty good place to just ignore what's going on down in Egypt. Right. At the present, he isn't, it isn't disrupting his life, so why should he care? Right? Does that sound a little familiar? That sound a little familiar? I mean, that's often the way we get, is it not? Think about it. If our immediate life is pretty stable, then we're not concerned about what's going on in the lives of others, especially those that we don't see on a regular basis. And so if we're concerned about people starving in Africa, we don't see it, so why do we care? If we don't see the people who are dying without Christ in India, why do we care? Because it's not bothering me. Well, think about this. I mean, I don't have COVID. I don't know anybody has COVID, so why should I care about COVID? Racism? I'm not racist. I mean, I don't have any problem with race issues in my life. Why, why should I care if racism exists, right? That's the way we get. If it's not bothering me in the moment, I really don't care. And God's coming to Moses, again, who settled in a comfortable life, and he's saying, Moses, wake up. There is a great need. And God, by calling out to Moses to behold what God himself says he, he's seen, he, he is truly inviting Moses to join him in the mission. He's saying, Moses, there is a need, and I want you to help me meet it. You see, in the text, we see where God even gets specific to Moses saying, I will send you. And I hope we all understand that when life seems to be going well for us and we suddenly are made aware of the struggle of others or we get this conviction to help people in need, that this is the voice of God saying, join me in my mission. You see, God continues to invite us to join him. We will see this more in a few moments, but we have to open our eyes and hear so that we know when God is calling us to join him. Now, notice when God invites Moses to see, to hear, and to join his mission, that God shares some things with Moses that are very important. Because God lets Moses know that as he joins him, that this, catch this, that God's mission comes with God's presence, God's promises, and God's plan. Look at verses 11 through 21. He said, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and they shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please, let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 
But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give you this people's favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Now, folks, there's a lot said in those verses, but here's what I love at first. I love the fact that in verse 11, in response to God inviting Moses to join his mission, that Moses asked, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know why I love that he asked that question? You want to know why I love that? Because it reminds me that I'm not alone in doubting God's ability to use me for his work. Let me ask you. You ever doubted that God could use you for something great? You ever doubted that? Let me ask it another way. You ever, ask, you ever doubted that God could use you for something simple? You ever doubted that God could use you at all? Well, if so, I, I got news for you. Join the club. Because I believe at one point or another, everyone who has called God or God has called to a task has doubted their ability. And notice how God responds to Moses when Moses says, who am I? Look at verse 12 again. Look at how God responds to him. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Did you notice something when Moses says, who am I? That God didn't do this. God didn't say, Moses, you are an Israelite who was raised in Pharaoh's household, so you have a unique insight that the other Israelites don't. You are the perfect man for this job. Did you notice he didn't say that? Did you also notice that God didn't say this? That God didn't say, well, well, Moses, you've been tending flock now for 40 years. And because of that, you're a great shepherd. You know how to shepherd. And that has given you some great unique skills to shepherd my people. Moses, you're experienced as a shepherd. You're just a man for the job. Did you notice that? He didn't say anything about his training. He didn't say anything about his ability. He didn't look Moses and say, Moses, you're the perfect man for the job. God looked back at Moses and says this. I will be with you. He never even answered Moses' question other than saying, but I will be with you. And what God said to Moses is, the key to what I am asking you to do is me. God says, you will be able to do what I'm asking you to do because I will be with you. Even later in verse 14, God says to tell the people when they ask who sent him to say that I am has sent me. And what was he wanting the people to recognize? Well, here's what God was wanting them to recognize, that the one true God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, had heard their cries and was going to deliver, that the God who created them was going to act. And let me ask you, is that important? Yes, it is. Think about this. If you haven't heard, I'm a grandfather. Have y'all heard that? If you haven't, I'll let you know. I'm, I'm a grandfather, okay? Now, thankfully, we get to see uh, Juliet at least once a week as Jacob and Courtney and Juliet, they come uh, to eat with us at least once a week. And and if you know this, you you know how babies let you know when they have a need, right? How do babies let you know when they have a need? They cry. (laughs) Yeah, they they cry. Now, is it important who hears a cry and responds? Is it? Yes, I'm going to tell you why. Because at our house, if Jules cries, our dog Griffey responds. Okay, doesn't like it when Jules cries. So he cries, dog runs. Here's a problem with that. Griffy's a dog. Griffy can't do anything for her but lick her. That's not helpful at all. I'm telling you, it's not helpful at all. Okay, and so if Griffy responds, oh, not, not, 
Now, if I hear a cry and respond, that's okay. That's a good thing. But I'm going to tell you this. It's better if Kim responds. Why? Because she just has those motherly instincts. There's just something about her that she's got that I don't got. And so Juliet's going to be better taken care of if Kim goes to the rescue rather than me. But let me go ahead and take that a step further. You know why? It's even better for her if Jacob or Courtney respond. You know why? Because they're her, they're her parents. They know her cries. They even know at this point which cry means what. If this cry means maybe I got a dirty diaper or this cry means I'm hungry or this cry means I'm sleepy, they can tell the cries at this point. I, I can't get that at this point. They know that. And so who is it best if, they're, if her parents respond, all right? And so th- th- think about this, okay? When God tells them, Tell them that I am sent you. He is letting them know that the one that truly matters and is best able to respond is responding. He is saying the one who can truly come and meet your need, who knows you better than anybody else, that God, he is the one who is coming to meet your need, and that's a big deal, right? Now, also, when God says to Moses to tell them that the God of their fathers has sent them, here's what God is doing. God is seeking to remind them that he can be trusted because of what he's done in the past. The God who made it possible for Sarah to give birth when she was beyond childbearing years is the God who can deliver them. The God who carried Joseph through many difficulties to get him to the place where he could save many lives is now working to save them. God is saying, you can trust me by looking back at my track record to say that that, that I have come through in the past and I will come through in the present. And folks, it is still important for us to remember today because we can look back and see how God has worked in generations past And here's what we know. He can work in the presence, right? We have seen him do great things. In this church, we have seen God bring us through difficult times in the past. And so even in the present uncertainties and the difficulties, we can know that God is able to provide for us and deliver us even now. His presence makes all the difference. Amen? Y'all still with me, right? Makes all the difference. Also notice that God made promises to Moses. The first we just saw was his presence. But then he said in verse 12, you will worship on this mountain. He told Moses it will happen. He promised that he would bring them out of the affliction, that he would work to make Pharaoh let them go, and that he wouldn't let them leave Egypt empty-handed. God didn't say these things were possible. He said these would happen. He gave Moses these promises that he could count on, look forward to, and find strength in. And folks, sometimes we need God's promises to hold on to when things get tough, do we not? And can I remind you of something? All right, This Bible is full of God's promises if you'll read it. And if you'll read it and find his promises, you can find strength to endure even your present difficulty in life. Now, at last, God gave Moses a plan. God, he said, call the elders, say to them, go to Pharaoh, say to him. God laid out a plan for Moses to be able to lead the children out of Egypt, Egypt, to deliver them from their bondage. And of course, if we were to continue reading in Exodus, we see where God does just that. And we find some of the most known events in biblical history, including the parting of the sea and the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, as we consider all this, what I want us to see again is this, is that God's plans are unbroken. We can look at this event and see that specifically God's deliverance of his people continued his plan of salvation when maybe it looked like it had reached a roadblock. When the children of Israel found themselves as slaves in Egypt, it would be easy for some to conclude that what God was doing with the Israelites is finished. However, what God did through Moses proved his plan is never at a roadblock. His plan is never overpowered. God's plans are unbroken. In fact, let's even consider our day because this is what we do in our day. We, we look around And we have this tendency to say, well, God must have hit a roadblock. 
We, we look around and see the chaos in the world and we feel of nothing else, that God is not working. But that is not the case. The children of Israel probably felt that way a little in Egypt, but let's remember they were slaves for generations before they experienced God's deliverance. But that didn't mean that God was finished or that God had hit a roadblock. God was still working to bring his plans about. In fact, even if we jump ahead in history to the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament, we know that there was this period of silence, 400 years of silence, we call it. There was no prophet of God speaking. It appeared that God was not working. But then we get to Matthew, and we read where God came to a man named Joseph, and he told him the woman he was about to marry had conceived and was going to give birth to a child. This is a familiar verse to some, but let me read it anyway. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. You see, in just these verses, we could look at them and what God was doing, and we could see here happening the same thing that happened when God spoke to Moses. God knew the people were in bondage, not to a foreign ruler, but to sin. God saw the needs of the people. He heard their cries for help, and he acted. He acted to fulfill a promise he had made many years earlier about a Savior that would come. He acted to continue his plan, and in doing this, he invited others to join him in the mission. He invited Mary. He invited Joseph and others to be a part of his mission in the world. And guess what? Ultimately, this would be fulfilled because of God's presence. I hope you noticed it as it was pointed out before that the baby's name was Emmanuel, which meant what? God with us. You see, God sees, God hears, and God acts, and he invites us to do the same and give his presence his, and receive his presence, his promises, and his plan. You see, the reality that many do not want to admit is that people today are slaves. And even we have been enslaved. If you look at me and say, well, Brother Scott, I, I've never been a slave, and, and, and you wonder what I'm talking about, Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Let's go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Let's just do this, all right? Who here today has ever sinned? Okay, I see every hand going up. You know what that tells me? That at some point in your life, you are a slave. Some of you may currently be enslaved. We all have been a slave to sin at one point in our lives. And hear me, many people today are still enslaved to sin, and they're crying out for help. Some are literally, literally crying out and saying, God, help me. Some are crying out in other ways by their actions, which many are very destructive actions. Some are even crying out by being religious, saying, you know, I've got a need, and I'm trying to be religious to get out of this slavery. But people are crying out all the time that they need deliverance from sin. And just like the children of Israel could only be delivered by God, the same for people enslaved to sin is that only God can deliver Hear me, ready? You cannot save yourself from sin. You cannot give enough. You cannot do enough good deeds. You cannot pray enough. You cannot suffer enough. Only God can deliver you from sin, and that is why Jesus came. As God himself came to deliver, and he came to die on a cross, to buy our freedom, and for all who put their faith in Jesus, there is a freedom from sin, as Jesus went on to say in John 8. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, if today you are enslaved to sin, let me encourage you to turn to Jesus by faith, confess your sin to him, and find the forgiveness that only he can give. And let him set you free from sin so that you might walk in the newness of life that only God can bring. Then let me remind all who have already experienced this freedom 
though, that we, though we cannot set others free by, by our, our power, that God invites us to see, hear, and to join him in his mission. God asks us to open our eyes and see those around us who are hurting and enslaved to sin. And he invites us to open our ears to their cries for help, their cries to be set free. And see, then ask us to join him as he delivers. Now, if you don't believe me, let me remind you of Matthew 28, 19 and, or 18 through 20. It says that Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, in this invitation, we see God give us his presence, his promise, and his plan. He has the power, and he will be with us to the end. Man, that's comforting. Again, if you, he, he's given us that, that his presence. He says, I will be with you to the end. He says that. He says even, look, look at this. Here, you want my plan? Here's my plan. My plan is that you go and you make disciples. You teach them to obey all that he has commanded them. All right? Because hear me. All right? God's plan is not just about us making people religious. God's plan is not about us just getting people baptized. Did you hear it? His plan, listen. His plan is about making disciples of Jesus Christ and helping them to obey all that God has commanded. And anyone who knows or is truly a disciple understands how freeing it is to know Jesus, to choose to follow him, and to obey his commands. Because the Son truly sets free from sin and provides true life to those who put their faith in him. And so God's inviting us to come and to join him in his plan to save the world. And he's giving us his presence and he's promised again, I will always be with you. Do you hear that? You see, God's plans are unbroken. In fact, as we close this morning, if you need to be freed from sin, I ask you today to choose to follow Jesus. God has heard you. God has acted. He, he, he may have acted even by sending a friend who has been telling you about Jesus. Maybe he even acted by having you stumble upon a live stream or a recording of a faithful preacher sharing the good news of Jesus. Maybe it was a classmate who invited you to church. Maybe it was a teammate who demonstrated what it meant to walk with Jesus. However, he has acted in your life. God has shown you that he loves you, and he is calling you to trust him. Today, you've never put your faith in Jesus. Let me invite you today to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for those who already know Jesus, you know, who accepted his invitation to see here, I pray that you'll join him in his mission. Join him in this plan of making disciples and open your eyes to see those around you who need Jesus and share with them. Please don't do this, okay? Please don't close your eyes to the needs that are all around you. Maybe life is going good for you right now and things are fine. And so you're settling into life. So maybe you don't care. Let me, let me say to you, all around you are people who are crying out in desperate need of a Savior in their life. They are in desperate need of help. And you have the answer. And God has been burdening you with that. He's going to help you open your eyes. If you'll say, God, show me, show me, help me. Here, I guarantee you what. Here's what God will do. He'll show you somebody that needs the love of Jesus. He'll open up a path for you to share the love of Jesus. And God is saying, look, all around are people. See and hear and come and join me in my mission because God wants to set people free. Be a part of God's unbroken plan to set the captives free. You see today, I don't know where you're at in this. God's plan is unbroken. And some of you today need to join that by, again, giving your life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, I pray in just a moment you'll come. Give your life to Jesus. Or some need to join that, God's unbroken plan, by coming and hearing his call to join him. 
and you need to go. Maybe it's across the street. Maybe it's across the state. Maybe it's across the nation. Maybe it's across the ocean. But wherever God is calling you, I'm asking you to join this mission. And you'll be blessed by doing what the Lord has asked you to do. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we bow into your presence today. Once again, seeing your plan is unbroken. And seeing again how you begin to work in Moses' life to carry out your plan of the promises you'd made to Abraham years ago and the promises that you'd made of even giving them a great land. And then, God, how you look forward and work in the lives of Jesus coming to set us free from our sin. So we know that you're a God that's had a plan. It's a plan that you're still working out. It's a plan that you want to continue to work out with us joining you. So I pray, Father, today as we come to this invitation that you'll move in hearts and lives. I have no doubt that some need to come this morning because they need to give their life to you. And so I pray they won't hesitate. I pray they will come this morning and they will give their life to the God who loves them unconditionally. And the Father, they will reach out to you. And then for others, God, who already know you, I pray today is a day that they accept your call in their life to be on mission for you. Whatever that mission looks like. Again, witness to their coworker, witness to their teammate, listen to their witness to their classmate, witness to a family member, you know, to witness to a friend that they've known all their life. Whatever the call is, God, I pray that we'll see and we'll hear and we'll respond to your invitation to join you and see people set free from sin. And so bless us this morning as you put out the call, Lord. I pray that we'll respond this morning to you, God. As I pray these things, I pray in Jesus' name, Amen.